You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Luke 24, beginning with verse 13. Follow along as I read. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, It is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. 
you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this reading of this familiar story. Uh, We've read beginning with the crucifixion and read through Luke's account of the events through to the ascension to where you ascended to the right hand of the Father Almighty. Father, we pray that as we look at these, uh, these accounts this morning, Father, that Lord, you would bless us afresh with, uh, uh, with the wonders of this story, uh, with the joys of this story, uh, that you would fill our hearts, O oh Father. Instruct us, we pray. Teach us, lead us, guide us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you're in the uh, business of sharing your faith uh, actively, it's just a matter of time before someone is going to ask you um, the question. Uh, and I brought this up a couple of weeks ago in an earlier message. People are going to ask you, why do you feel the Christian faith is the true faith while all other faiths are false, which is one of the things that Christians believe. And on the surface of it, it really does sound, to at least to our modern ears, is somewhat of an arrogant claim, doesn't it? Uh, how can we say that our faith is correct while all the other faiths are wrong? Uh, and um, we, we shouldn't shirk those kinds of questions, especially when someone is asking us these questions really with some sincerity and really trying to uh, not so much be a, a skeptic of it all, but really trying to figure it out. Uh, that shouldn't be a, a question that should scare us. And um, if you've had anyone ever ask you that question, raise your hand. Has anyone ever had a question like that asked? Surely some of us have. Uh, and even if we've never been asked that question, maybe there's been times where we've been afraid someone would ask us that question. Uh, what if someone would ask me that question? And even if the first two options aren't true, uh, maybe some of you are somewhat curious right now as to how uh, we should answer such a question. And I, I could tell you, really, there are many reasons I could give. You, you know these preacher types. They can go on for a long time. But um, I won't do that to you. But there are really three answers that I kind of readily give when that question comes up. And one of, one of the, my favorite questions, I mean, if you're going to ask me a question, you're seeking and you're going to ask me a question, ask me why I'm a Christian. That's one of them. I love when I get that question. I absolutely love it. I, I wish we were hearing that question more often. But the, the first answer that I will give when someone asks me that question is, well, I'm a Christian, really, I guess I would have to answer, I can answer that with one word. It's the word resurrection. It's the word resurrection. I mean, all that, all that had to be done in, uh, in the first century uh, after the crucifixion of Jesus, all that had to be done to snuff out Christianity completely uh, is produce a body. Jesus was crucified before everyone's eyes. 
Uh, he was taken down as dead. His lifeless body was put into a tomb. It was sealed. There was a guard placed at the tomb. And uh, when it was discovered missing and the rumors were circulated by the religious authorities that someone stole the body and all of that, uh, really all that they needed to do was to put the whole thing down was produce a body. And then if a body would have been produced, it is really unlikely that any of us would probably have ever heard this story. There are so many stories in antiquity that we've never heard of. But a body was not produced. And someone might say, well, okay, a body's not produced. Well, they just hid the body real good. Well, uh, that, that doesn't explain all of the evidence. How do we explain the, 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 uh, the major turning of the disciples who are scared to death, hiding behind closed doors, suddenly become bold and willing to risk their lives for this, the truth that Jesus is alive. So it's the resurrection. That's why That would be my first answer as to why uh, I'm a Christian. My second answer would be the atonement. It's the atonement. I mean, if we have no atonement, what do we do with the guilt? And I don't need to define, I don't need to spend time on that. We all understand what guilt is, don't we? What do we do with the guilt? And the only thing that I have found that satisfies that is the crucifixion of Jesus. What is he doing on the cross? He's dying for the sins of the people whom he came to save. God is righteous. He is holy. He is just. And the atonement handles the guilt. A third answer that I give is the living what I will call really the active and living ministry of Jesus. The active and living ministry of Jesus. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about. What do I mean by the active and living ministry of Jesus? Well, let's take a look at our text this morning. It's a large text. I'm not going to go into many of the details that I would normally go into. We have 53 verses here. We would be here for a very long time doing that. But what I want to do is kind of stand back from Luke 24, if you will, and take a bird's eye view of the various accounts that we have here in this chapter. Now, these accounts can be parsed several ways. For the sake of this morning's message, I'll divide them up into five accounts. We have starting with the account of the women going to the tomb and discovering it to be empty and then reporting their discovery to the disciples would be the first account. And then we have a second account where we have this, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels, one of the first stories that I ever studied as a young believer uh, is the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, beginning with verse 13 through verse 35. Thirdly, we have the account of Jesus himself appearing before the 11 and the other disciples who were present. And though there really is no necessarily no break in the narrative, uh, nevertheless, we'll make a fourth account. Jesus per, uh, personally commissioning the church to take and preach the gospel to all nations. We'll make that account number four, if you will. And then, of course, we have the fifth account of Christ ascending to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Uh, so what I'd like to do is take just briefly take a look at each of these accounts with an eye to the active living 
ministry of Christ. Okay, does that sound simple enough? Uh, in verse 1, we find it's the first day of the week. That is uh, Sunday. Uh, and that is why the church worships on Sunday. Wednesday nights, we've been talking about uh, the regulative principle of worship and why do we do the things that we do? Why do we have a call to worship? Why do we have these various things? Why do we meet on Sunday? Uh, we meet on Sunday because that's the resurrection of Jesus. The church began to meet on Sunday. Uh, this, the Saturday gave way uh, to Sunday. And here is some of the evidence of it right here. On the first day of the week, that is Sunday, early dawn, uh, they went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away. Other gospel accounts, I think it's Mark, tells us that while the women were on their way to the tomb, they were discussing themselves. How are we going to get the stone away? How are we going to roll this stone away? Well, when they get there, they discover that it is already rolled away. And verse three, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And verse four, while they were perplexed about this, Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling peril. Uh, who are these two men? Uh, we're told that they're angels. Uh, if you look in uh, uh, verse 23, if you will, uh, in, uh, uh, in that account, they say uh, they're speaking of the discovery that the women made of verse 22. Uh, they say some of our women... Uh, of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels. The other gospel writers report that there were angels present. Uh, so they see these angels and uh, these angels meet them in their perplexity. And that would be the first, really the first point I'd want to make is uh, here are these grieving women. Uh, they're coming, actually, to, uh, out of adoration and reverence. Their hearts are broken. Uh, they're grieving the loss of Jesus. They're, they're coming with spices. Their intentions are to give him a proper burial. And when they discover that the body is missing, what do you suppose they thought of first? Somebody took him. It's the first thing they're going to think of. Uh, they're perplexed. They're confused. They didn't know what to make of this. And the first point that I would say is that Jesus is alive. They don't know it yet, but he is alive. And because he's alive, he's able to meet them and their perplexity. Just like he's able to meet you and yours. And he's able to meet me and mine. You know, the, the Greek... In the Greek, the, the word perplexity, it actually means to be at a complete loss. Like, could you imagine going to the graveside, having endured what they endured over the weekend, and discovering that the tomb is empty? They'd be like, really? Hasn't this been enough? They're completely at a loss. But the active in living ministry of Christ meets them in their perplexity and he meets us in ours as well. Amen? What do these uh, dazzling uh, angels say? Uh, as the women are frightened, verse 5, they bow their faces to the ground 
And the men said, why do you seek the living among the dead? I was going to use that as our scripture memory verse this morning. That would have been a good one, wouldn't it? We'll save it for another day. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning to, returning to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who told these things to the apostles. And look at verse 11. These words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. Peter, he rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths and he went home marveling at what had happened. Sometimes to hear some folks talk, we would get the impression that, you know, the disciples were kind of like some country bumpkins. They were superstitious and they were just credulous and ready to believe anything. Well, we see that's not that's not the case, is it? Uh, they, they didn't initially believe the women. Uh, you know, you can almost read between the lines and say, well, you folks are really upset. And, you know, you're, you're just probably just imagining things. There's got to be a logical explanation for this. We'll, we'll, we'll go check this out and uh, uh, we'll, we'll, get this, we'll get this figured out. That's our first account. The second account begins in verse 13. The same day, uh, two of them, that is two of the disciples, not the 11, that is, but two disciples who accompanied Jesus were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Verse 14, while they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, uh, while they were talking and discussing together, uh, verse 15, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Uh, That's the second thing I want to point out about the active living ministry of Jesus. He's not dead in a tomb somewhere. He's alive and free to pursue the objects of his love and care. And here he is. He appears to these two disciples who were, the text tells us, they're sad and troubled and walking a seven-mile journey back to their village. He appears to them, but they don't even know it. And um, a lot of times we look at our faith like Okay, you know, at some point in my life, you know, I don't know why, but I started to read the Bible. I started to desire to come to church. I started to desire to follow uh, Jesus. And, uh, you know, eventually that desire grew and uh, I come to be a believer. And what we may have a tendency to forget, or maybe we've never had it explained to us, is that before we did any of that, Jesus was already with us. in his active and living ministry to us. Isn't that amazing? Because he does it in such a way that we don't even realize that he's there, just like the disciples here on the road to Emmaus. Are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened? (laughs) Who are they speaking to? The one who was crucified. Their eyes were kept from recognizing this. What does Jesus do? Does he scold them? No. Verse 17, he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? 
And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, uh, and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. What is Jesus doing here? He's entering into conversation with them, isn't he? Fully willing to be um, unrecognizable at this point, but he's entering into conversation. Then in verse 25, he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Notice what Jesus starts with. It starts with the scriptures. He could have done this all kind of different ways, but he starts with the Bible, doesn't he? He says, okay, let's start a Bible study. And he begins to open up the scriptures to them on the road to Emmaus. Verse 28, as they drew near to the village to which they were going, Jesus acts like he's going another way. They urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And look at verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. The living, active ministry of Jesus. Opening the eyes of the blind. Has he opened your eyes? You know, the, the, the resurrection, it's, it's, it can be a, actually a cold and lifeless doctrine if your eyes haven't been opened. It's we can have it in our heads, you know. I, I was talking with somebody here very recently about this kind of thing, you know, and I, I have it in my head that George Washington was the first president of the United States. I have bumped into people that disagree with that and don't believe it's true, but I don't want to get into that. But that's just a joke. But I have it in my head that George Washington was the first president of the United States. But when I get up in the morning, that truth doesn't do a whole lot in terms of my behavior for the day. It hasn't really turned my life upside down. And we can have a knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus that is a lot like that. We have this historical knowledge that on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. And it's kind of like the same thing, you know. We also have in our heads George Washington was the first president. But when your eyes are opened, when the active and living ministry of Christ, by way of His Holy Spirit, opens up our eyes, what becomes a game changer, doesn't it? Has it become a game changer for you? My life radically changed when, when Christ's I didn't know he was around. I didn't know he was near. 
I didn't know he was conversing with me. He opened my eyes to see something that I'd known all my life. But to see it with eyes that can truly see and ears that can truly hear. And it totally changed my life. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And what do they do? Verse 33, that same hour, they returned to Jerusalem. Now remember, there was a seven mile walk. You see, when, when your eyes are opened, uh, when this transformation takes place, seven miles isn't a big deal. And I, I use this figuratively. There's a lot of things that we'll do today that we wouldn't have done before, are there not? They have to run back. We've got to get back. We've got to tell everyone else what has just happened. They make their, their journey seven miles back to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. And they're saying the Lord has risen. Indeed, he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. It's easy to rush right by that and see that as a simple greeting. But in an earlier message, we spent a morning talking about the word peace, didn't we? Do you remember that? Some of you heard it. Uh, let's not get too carried away. Let's slow down here. Jesus says peace to you. Is he just saying hello? He's saying much more than hello. The act of living ministry of Christ. What is he saying? There's now peace between you and me. We have peace with God. <laughs> I, I remember in my life, I, I, I'll use my own testimony as an example. I remember when this truth really started to come at home, that suddenly I have peace with God. I remember thinking to myself, I never knew I didn't have peace with God. I always thought I had peace with God until I started studying the Ten Commandments. As I began to study the Ten Commandments, initially, I thought I'm doing pretty good. There's two commandments here I've never broken. Fair enough, I've broken the others, but God understands that. I'm, I'm only human, um, but I, I'm doing okay. Then you read the Sermon on the Mount and you discover, you know something? You've broken all ten of these commandments. You're not okay. And then you read other passages that say, listen, in, in our common everyday unbelief, the wrath of God is upon us. There is no peace. But that's why Jesus went to the cross, isn't it? You know, I don't want to get into that. It's, it's, it's a great thing to get into the atonement. You remember I mentioned as the second thing, the reason why I'm a Christian is because of the atonement. You see, Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross. When we look at the horrible agonies that Jesus experienced on the cross, it reminds us of how what a terrible condition we're in. Our condition is so bad and so grave that Jesus had to go to such lengths as these in order to bring peace to us. But Jesus says on the cross, as his agony was nearly complete, he said, it is finished. Now, by a simple faith and trust in Christ, we can hear these words. Peace to you. The act of living ministry of Jesus. 
brings peace. Verse 37, they're startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. I think it's the old King James translation said they thought they saw a ghost, right? Is it the King James translation? I forgot to look it up and I'm going by memory. They thought they saw a ghost. And in the verses that follow, we really, these are important verses in what we call Christology. That is the study of Christ. These are very important verses because these verses teach us that Jesus is indeed raised in a human body. It's a glorified body, but is a human glorified body. Jesus says to them, why are you troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me, see. We, we may come to the conclusion without these verses that it was just a vision, you know, just an apparition or, you know, something of the like. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to touch me. I want you to touch me. He says, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before then. What is Jesus up to? The living act of the ministry of Jesus is saying, listen, this is my, this is my glorified, resurrected body. And the promise of the gospel is that one day we too will have a glorified, resurrected body. Our, our salvation is complete the day that we put our trust and faith in Jesus. It's far from complete that day. Jesus, in his active living ministry to us, works with us through the days that he gives us on this earth to work through the sins and the things that, that he wants us to work through and if we live uh, before he returns, or if we die before he returns, uh, then we exist in a bodiless state where we wait for the final consummation of all things. When Jesus returns, then uh, all believers receive this glorious body. And it's not until then that anyone's salvation is complete. The act of living ministry of Christ is renewing us in body and soul body and soul. Verse 44, Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 30, 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There we see more of the living active ministry of Jesus, opening minds to understand the scriptures. Have you ever found yourself uh, puzzled over various passages of Scripture? Am I the only one? There are things in the Bible that are hard to understand, aren't there? Part of the living act of ministry of Jesus is opening those things up, opening those things. He does it by way of his Holy Spirit. And then Jesus personally commissions the church. Verse uh, 46, he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Notice how many times that's coming up in our text. It keeps coming up over and over again. It's almost like he wants us to remember something here, isn't it? Why else would he keep bringing it up? That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. See, it's all part of the plan. It's a plan that was instigated out of eternity past that Jesus would have this ministry that it would become what it is. Verse 47, he commissions the church that repentance and forgiveness of sins, 
sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You're a witness of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That is until we get to Acts chapter 2. And by the way, we should think of Acts chapter 2 as Luke volume 2. The context of this passage is Acts chapter 1. If anyone's ever put that together, Luke writes both the gospel bearing his name and the Acts of the Apostles. And if you're looking for context for these verses, you turn to Acts chapter 1 is where you turn. What, are the, what, what is going on here? Jesus himself personally, as part of his living and active ministry, commissions the church to share all of these things. And some of us are sitting here this morning because somebody has shared the gospel with you, huh? Or maybe your parents shared the gospel with you and you, you, you were raised hearing the gospel all your life. Either way, it was part of the living, active ministry of Christ Jesus. It is not accidental that you're here this morning. You ever wonder why you? I brought this up a couple of weeks ago because I've been thinking about it a little bit myself. And so, somehow the things I think about personally sometimes end up in sermons. I haven't figured that out yet, but they maybe I just can't keep my big mouth shut about them. But you ever ask that question, why? Why, why are we sitting here? Why are we, I mean, why not try to get in a game of golf this morning? The living, active ministry of Jesus is the answer. Verse 50 in our fifth account. And lastly, when Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands. Now, there's a there's a, a, a good deal of time that takes place between verse uh, verses 49 and verse 50, approximately 40 days, if you will. Jesus leads them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands. He blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now they're in the temple. Prior to the act of living ministry of Jesus, they were behind closed doors hiding from the Jews. Now they're in the temple. They've been transformed. Transformed by what? The living, active ministry of Jesus. I invite you sometime this afternoon to read over this again. And as you read over, look for all the ways in Luke 24 where Jesus reveals himself as an active minister of the gospel. And think about your own personal testimony as you do this. And I will tell you, it'll be time well spent. He has ministered to every one of us, has he not? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this ministry. We thank you, Father, that we do not come to a cold and lifeless faith. We do not serve at a grave. You are not nailed any longer to a cross. But you have risen, you are alive, and you are conducting a powerful ministry uh, to your people. And Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning that we are the recipients of this powerful ministry. We thank you, Father, that, Lord, you have given us a Savior and that the Holy Spirit has 
agreed to apply the salvation that Jesus accomplished. We thank you, Father, that you have opened our eyes. We thank you, Father, that you've opened our minds to the scriptures, that you have pursued us, that you have won our hearts. And Father, we pray that you would continue to do this work here in the Ohio Valley and around the rest of this globe, Father, that more and more people would be brought in to this living, active ministry of Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.